Friends, my name is Steve, and we're here today to discuss the Thousandfold Thought and the Prince of Nothing trilogy. We are we are finally at the end of the Prince of Nothing trilogy, and it's uh, the, the last hundred or so pages. Was it chapters fourteen through the end? Quite a bit happens. Just quite a lot of information in these last few chapters, but we'll, I'm sure we'll talk about that. It's my first time reading this uh, trilogy, and we're here with Daniel and Katarina. Daniel, will you give us an introduction? Um, Daniel and I have read this trilogy, both of the trilogies, a couple times. So I know the the second apocalypse a little more than these guys. Eh, maybe just a little. A little bit. Um, so hi, I'm Katarina. This is my second time reading The Prince of Nothing, or a second time having finished The Prince of Nothing. Um, and uh, what can I say? Like, I finished it on time. I have notes this time, so it should be fun. <laughs> and uh, before we get into the thousandfold thought, the last few chapters, just want to mention that we will be taking a week off next week, uh, and then we'll come back the following week to start the fir first couple of chapters of the second apocalypse. The first book is The Judging Eye, I think. Yeah, cool. Yeah, so if you're reading along with us, kick your feet up for the next week, and uh, we'll be back in a couple of weeks. So, um, Daniel, what did you think reading this one again for the fourth or fifth time? You, you have to go first. Newest first. Well, <laughs> okay, so part of me wishes that we had more of this sprinkled through the whole book because the, there's... There's lots in these last few chapters, and there's some stuff that I didn't understand, which I'm sure we'll get to. But I'm satisfied. I feel good about the way it ended, but um, I kind of want more. I feel like there's a lot that's carrying over into the next series. Like, we had a lot of answers, but there's lots of things that have happened in the, in the trilogy that we just don't know about a whole lot yet. Unless I'm just... I missed it, which is totally possible, too, so... But overall, um, it's it was satisfying, just not as much as I would hope it would be, if that makes sense. I think that's a I think that's a fair assessment. Um, I I I can honestly say for myself, I don't think I'm any wiser reading this book for the second time than I was the first time I finished it. Like, if anything, I have more questions. Because there are just a lot of things that I didn't pay attention to on my first read because I thought they, for some reason I thought they were irrelevant or just not important to the plot. And they may not be as important to the plot of the first trilogy, but having read a little bit of the the, con, the, the subsequent series, I have so many more questions about so many things that were just like man mentioned here and there throughout the like last 100 pages. And we, I think we just so happened to stop at the right place. I think this chapter and chapter 14 was a perfect place for us to to kind of leave that last lump uh, that we were going to read. It's because it, it seems like all this information just poured down in chapter 14 right away. So I don't know if that was by accident or if you both knew that and just planned it that way or but worked out. So. It was a broadcast. It was fast. These chapters went by really quickly. Jumping yeah. from three or four vantage points, it seemed like three or four different places. 
that was very i thought very cinematic it felt like a movie like jumping back and forth like that and that worked really well i really liked that because we were getting bits and pieces and they weren't too long they were just long enough to get an idea of what was happening all at the same time yeah i i'm i'm happy that i didn't have to read like 50 pages of just battle but maybe i would have maybe i would have appreciated to have a little bit more page time with Kellis and Moangas. Like, it felt like their conversation was just, like, for the amount of information that we got from it, it felt maybe a little bit too short or too scattered throughout the whole thing. I wonder how much of that, how much of the battle that we really needed. I think it went on a little bit too long. I think it was a little bit, a little overstuffed, but I'm, I'm not a huge fan of battles anyway, but um, I think that like you said, I think it would have been better to have more of that conversation. But during that conversation, every word in those is like packed. Like every word is heavy. I have so many quotes. Okay. <laughs> Where did you guys um, want to start? Um... I thought a lot of what Katerina thought about this tree read, though I might have less questions than her. Hmm. But there was a lot of future information. And like you said, we didn't tile a lot of those like more outlandish strings together, but this series is just a replication of a historical event with like insinuations of something greater, if that makes sense. Yeah, but I mean, at the same because time, all the, sorry, all this go stuff ahead. happened in hi history, like the these battles all happened in history. And now that I guess we finished this first series, you can go look at stuff on the first crusades and see the correlation hmm. but now the first crusades are over so we'll see what happens next yeah but at, at the same time i like as as much as the crusade is like the overarch overarching plot of the of the trilogy it also feels like i mean at the end of the day it doesn't feel very important like that's not really what the story is about like it's almost like this, especially like especially after read like few of the, the 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 books in the second series, like the the Prince of Nothing trilogy starts to feel as almost as a prologue. Hmm. Like it's just a beginning. Was it's just uh it's just a teaser of the things that actually matter or are going to matter. Oh wow, it's <laughs> a long prologue. Like it's but just it's just a setup for the second series, at, at least that's how it feels to me at like this point in my uh, in my journey with the second apocalypse. And I agree with you, Katarina. I think the holy war it it was just another tool, right? It's just another tool that Kellis was using to his own ends. Um, it was, he was playing a long game, though. <laughs> well, it's, that's the thousandfold thought for you. Yeah, yeah. So uh, the first note I had was note I had was from Espinette. Um, 
because she's having these desires and she's kind of like this leftover from uh, her being her body being taken over and her journey um, I was hoping she would have more to do in this last little bit I, I wish she would have had a bigger role to play but maybe she does in the second series but um, I was hoping that she would be more of a more of a she plays an important role but I wanted her to, to have more of a more substance I guess in these last little bit I think that's a fair point. Um, she, yeah, she, like she does not have much to do in the in the last few chapters, but I guess you could say that most of her arc has already happened. Like we have seen her go from the harlot that every who everyone despised to becoming Kelsey's empress wife, like one of the most powerful women in the three C's. So I guess there's, there's not much further for her to go at the end of the book or in the last, like in, in, in the last four chapters. Um, I mean, the one thing that's important to her character in, 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 in those last chapters is that she, again, is forced to make a choice between seemingly dead Akamian or being loyal to seemingly dead Akamian and um, Kellis, who represents the sort of, um, I don't know, luxury, power, wealth, everything she's kind of been hoping and inspiring, inspiring to her entire life. And once again, she chooses Kellis. What a surprise. What did you think, Jenny? I was, glad, I was glad that nothing bad happened to her. <laughs> that's fair yeah <laughs> she survived <laughs> I mean, it's, yeah it's a nice change from being constantly stoned and assaulted and sold yeah. starving abused losing you know, your shoes broken um i in a way it kind of felt like she Kind of felt like she went backwards in a way because she, um, I don't know if she realized or if maybe I realized that she had really no, she didn't have as much control as she thought she did. Um, she kind of felt like she's still under Kellis's thumb. I, f I feel like in the, in the last conversation she had with the commune, she did come to the realization that Kellis did not love her that he was manipulating and using her and I think the question for her was whether that actually matters hmm. like even even if she's being used for being a woman or for because she's she's an intelligent person um like if that gets her the things that if that has given her power if that has given her the status she has like does it matter? And I mean, I don't know if, if, if that question is answered, but I think that's that's kind of the dilemma that's standing in front of her. Still kind of thinks Kellis is like the savior and she's having his kids, even though she's decided that the savior is like not the best thing. Because <laughs> even Akamian still thinks he's the har harbinger and he's like, 
come to save them from the second apocalypse, even if he is manipulating everyone somehow, cause, just because of his Saswatha dreams, which get more intense at the end of this book. There is a, a section here, I'm not sure, um, it's on page 288 in my um, my copy, but um, I think this may play into it with the whole Espinet thing is there is rapture in submission, the vulnerability of another towering overhead, precarious like letting a stranger touch one's face, the sense of profound com communing as though only those who acknowledge their insignificance themso could themselves be acknowledged, the relief of surrender, the, dis disturbing, the, that, the disturbing that accompanied the yielding of responsibility, the paradoxical sense of license. I guess there can be something freeing in being a slave. Yes. Like you just, there's just, you don't have to think about a lot of things if there's another person making their, those decisions for you. That's true. And that's when she's bowing to Kellis. Is that when that happened? And Kellis tells her to don't fear the future. The flesh is but my shadow or something. Yeah, yeah I did not get that part. I didn't. <laughs> I don't know what that's supposed to mean. <laughs> um, so yeah. Um, so there's, the, okay. There, with, the, with the heavy stuff, I'm not sure where you where um, where you guys wanted to start there's a lot to um to take apart um so um, i guess it's the where do we start with that stuff well, we're talking about snet so i guess let's talk about akadian okay. since he's there stumbling into compass immediately after him and snet do whatever they do they coupled they're married. So I like that that's your preferred but... term for that. <laughs> Coupling. Oh, it, not one. No, no, never mind. Never mind. <laughs> well, I mean, just but just before that, like going back to the comment, just before that, Nayor tells him about Kellis and his uh, true nature, so to speak. Yeah, and I think at one point he says, what do you have that he hasn't taken from you? He's, he's taken your wife, he's taken your magic. Now you're just like an old, grumpy guy. Yeah, I, I got a little bit confused, I suppose, about why it was New York's revelations that finally made a comment and realized that Kellis was manipulative or not the good guy he was trying to convince the comment he was. Because it seemed to me that even in the part we, we read last week, a comment was sort of already realizing or at least coming to that realization. 
so I, I I didn't quite understand like what was like what what changed in a comments thinking like what was it that Nayor told him that he didn't already know or that made him change his mind finally? I think it was when they first started talking, the first thing he basically asked him was whether it was a lie what he said to get himself into the Holy War, whether he had dreams of the holy war and whether he was a prince or where he was from and so that was his big questions and then the revelation that he was like done in some other 2000 year hidden monstrous group that lied about like having the dreams basically being a prophet and the fact that he was already doubting everything. So does Akamian not believe that Kellis is a prophet anymore? Like he's, but it, it seemed like he still sort of thought that Kellis might be somehow connected to the to the apocalypse, or even have been sent to prevent the apocalypse from uh, from taking place. I think. There's a difference between a prophet and a harbinger. Kellis will bring about the, the second apocalypse, and he might be smart enough and strong enough to stop it, even if he's the worst human being in the world. Because the Kenyan renounces him, renounces his school. His wife? Everything except books never renounced books <laughs> yeah um yeah I'm not, that last little bit with the, the last few pages with the came in was a little i don't know um it seems like it, with espinet and with the came in it seemed like they were they had drank the kool-aid and they were all in with kellis and then noir comes and tells it came in a few things and then he changes his mind um, it just seemed like a little, a little sudden because they both seemed like they were all in. I think it made more sense to me with Esmanet because there, like, there were already some hints, or like, like you could see her sometimes thinking that Kellis didn't quite love her, or kind of realizing that maybe he only wanted her for her body or like her um, reading <laughs> capabilities. Um, but as I said, like in the end, like she makes she makes the decision to stay with him. So it it doesn't really matter for her. And I think it came in just since he had his one thing he cared about taken from the other thing he came to care about, I like had a, a grudge. There was already a chink in the armor of his like unfounding love for Kellis. And he had a look at it every day. And he, even in the previous chapters, he would like think 
bad things. Like I could burn them all. I could just take her away. So even though he was teaching Kellis and he knew Kellis could see what he was thinking pretty much, he was still thinking it. I mean, I, I found the, the last few few pages, the part when he's saying, like, I renounce, I renounce my school and I renounce my prophet. Like, I found that very powerful. Mm-hmm. Like, um, because we've, we've kind of we've kind of gone from the commune, the cynic, the one who does not believe in the consult, who thinks that, you know, the second apocalypse just um, like it's not going to happen. It's very unlikely to happen. He goes from that to being, to having complete, absolute faith in Kellis, and then finally going back to the cynic or disbeliever again. I, I, I did find that powerful. Hmm. Him, like, think? sorry. No, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, I was just going to say that I think at the end of this book, he is probably the only person of, of at least of like the original cast of characters that we encountered who well apart from well i don't know maybe newer i guess um he's the only person who has actually come to see Kellis for who he is and who is now able to see through his deception everyone everyone else has succumbed that's a good point Maybe estimate to a varying degree, right? Not enough to renounce. <laughs> She's carrying a baby masonette, a half dunying. Yeah, that was another one. Uh, big surprise there about masonette being Callus's stepbrother. I mean, there are there are there are some hints, but very very subtle. Like he's from the south, but he's he's apparently very pale. He's very tall, and uh, his sermons are mesmerizing. Mm. So if you try really hard, maybe you can put two and two together. But I I was when I read the book for the first time, I was completely shocked. Like that I that thought that that he would somehow be related to. Kellis never occurred to me. Like for for all I knew, I thought that Mathenet was somehow like an agent of the consul or something like that. He well, he did spot a Camian, right? He knew that he was one of the uh, was it the few or three with the yep. term. Um, so he did spot him, but I didn't. I didn't put that. I mean, that was, you knew that there was something different about him, but we we rarely saw him the whole time. <laughs> so. It was, but yeah, I'm sure there's little hints. So, um, so, so Noir, um, he's running around with his skin spy and well, his skin spy girlfriend and his gift, uh, and the other skin spy looking for uh, Kellis. And so, when he and Moingas are reunited in the cave. Um, yeah, that got interesting. I, I I thought I was not going to cry this time. I still cried. 
It's one of the most heartbreaking scenes for me in the entire trilogy. The two of them reuniting. Like you, th you think that New York coming in that he's gonna just kill Moengus immediately, and then you realize that maybe the the one thing that he he was he wanted the whole time was just a hug. It, I mean, it breaks my heart. Like it, it, it generally like I maybe I don't know that maybe everyone, not everyone's like a big fan of New York, but like he's one of the most fascinating characters for me in the entire series, and I just like you know, not not to diminish. I'm not trying to diminish any of the horrible things he does. Um, <laughs> well, I don't laugh. The, the many horrible things he does. <laughs> okay, he's a horrible person. Um, but I also empathize. And it's, I mean, it's just really sad to realize, like, to just read again and again about how, how broken he is and how he takes it out on, on the world around him and the people around him. Yeah, Moeen just revealed his new truth pretty quick. But... The truth stays there when you search for it. If it's a lie, it'll just wash away. So the fact that he's been struggling with it forever means it must have been had a lot of truth to it. And he wasn't the breaker of horse and men, really. It's just a lie. He's, what was his pet name? Nayu? you yeah Aww. that's what broke me it was so sad <laughs> no yeah and then and and then he well it's not very it's it's kind of confused but i think my like, mowing is already dying because kelly stabbed him and then i think Nayor he finishes mowing off with the core if i understood it correctly and then he's like, please don't leave me again. <laughs> and then Surway showed up. She put her face back together. Yeah. Uh, so the, after that last, so the lights went out, right? The light, so he's in the, he's in the cave in the darkness yeah. with the two captive skin spies, the corpses and uh, the two skin spies that he was running with. I think one's dead. One got his face burned off. Oh. One just got knocked out or something. Yeah, I think Survey got knocked out. But yeah, he's down in some crazy mine, some really old mine. Not a human mate line. <laughs> yeah, it talks about some impossible light he sees just hanging in the air. And it talks about the bays. Well, I think that was when <clears throat> the Kenyan was having the dream when they were finally like seeing all of Golgotara. That was pretty I mean, messed up. Yeah. It talked about 
hell when the ark fell out of the sky, only one in 100 Inkarai survived, and still 1,000, 1,000 Inkarai fought in the battle. And now there's only two of them left. Yeah. So it went from 100 million when they came through the sky, because 1,000, 1,000 is 1 million. Okay, is it? Yeah, I guess. One thousand, one thousands. Yeah. I'm here to read books, not do math. <laughs> it's a lot. Basically, just a lot of people. I think they they called it an in ingrown world or an ingrown planet or something inside of the ark. Do you think? Yeah. Um, then they refer to it as a wound, right? Like a. I forget the exact word, but yeah, the the dead womb. I think we I think we mentioned it last time. Oh yeah, and they called it the ingrown world. That's what they called it. I guess oh. if there was a hundred million things living in it, you know, it'd be a world. And then the deception of Seswatha gets figured out in the Kamian's dreams. Does it? I got very confused in that last uh, part. Yeah, I was confused too. Where the king realizes that he's not really there to save the girl he's going to save. And Seswatha's like, well, if you oh, find her, she's, okay. she's not going to be the same. We actually need to get the hair on spear. And then there was another dream afterwards, yeah. Yeah, that was the one where I got confused. Mm. Yeah, I was lost. So it seemed like... So it was the same dream that we already went through a couple of times. But this time it seemed that the no god was speaking through the um, high Kyrenian king. So it was like a after after they usually wake up because i don't think you'd ever mention seeing like the carapace of the no god you mean he, he'd like see his chest he's close enough and then he was yelling for him to use the heron spear and he was speaking the no god's voice along with all the dead and all of the strength trying to figure out what he was. Hmm. Yeah, those sections I got a little little lost. Yeah, I, I, I noticed that the dream was different, but I don't remember if, I thought maybe we saw him throwing the spear in one of the previous dreams, but I don't actually remember but I definitely there the, the no god was not speaking through the through the hiking. On on the plains of Mangeta they he dreams of his approach because that's where it happened. Right. But it doesn't go that far. Hmm. And who knows what happened? I guess we know that the no god died somehow. 
yeah it's the dreams like i never i'm never sure if i'm if it's supposed to be mysterious if or if i just don't remember what we already know and then uh i think it came in it's like thinks this is not how it happened at one point even while he's dreaming mm. meaning maybe he's seen a further dream of some truth that got covered up with some wise scriptures some wise stories yeah i i feel like that's something that's more of, like it's 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 not supposed to be resolving anything like it's more of a setup for the next books to come i want to ask if that get that gets explored more but i probably shouldn't what the saswatha dreams and the hedron spear and um i'm guessing it does but i mean do you want to know no I, we'll find out here in a, in a couple of weeks um a long time ago i said that baker doesn't write things for no reason so if there are unanswered questions or this mysterious things maybe they're there for a reason <laughs> not that he's not vague a lot of times i think he likes to let like the mystery of your mind lead you places so he's vague a lot of times about things there's one part where a boy is like scooping up the salt of this dead wizard or mage and that was pretty weird and the and the the bird came with the little face and do you want to know a secret yeah Can't what what the hell is supposed to, like what the hell is that supposed to be what the bird secret yeah like yeah. what, what what is he telling him and why would he tell this random kid on the street my guess is that it was a terrible secret and the kid didn't walk off the street again it's a random guess but i don't think you approach a thing with a human head and a black bird body and anything good happens <laughs> nothing it'll happen bad news in route in route will tell you that yeah rest in peace there's a lot of rest in pieces this chapter the ikri dynasty rip um i, I guess you're still surviving you're the last remaining ikri yeah I'm I'm making my allegiances clear. <laughs> claim making making my claim to the throne. <laughs> um but I mean, do you understand why I hate Sabon so freaking much? So, I have a question about Sabon. Um let me pull the page because I was sure to tab it because I knew I was going to we're going to mention it. So, whatever Sabon it gets mentioned, I pay attention but it's uh, on 382 it it reads uh, he saw king saban leaning from his saddle 
his face ruddy with murderous intent. The more than sun glistened in the man's blue eyes. He saw the broadsword that took his head. I read that as Saban was dead, but I think I misread it. Because he's, he's there at the end. Yeah, it's, um, no, he decapitates Confus. I misread that one. So. Yes. Confus was doing the seeing. Yeah, that was from Confus's point of POV. Yeah, I totally misread that part. Um, Confus, Confus can use the sword. <laughs> Be serious. I mean, he he did kill he did kill the the uh, skin spy at the end of darkness with his sword. It's true. But to be fair, like I mean, that's the thing I like about Confis. Like, he's not a warrior. Like his strength is entirely in like he he's not a warrior. He's a, he's he's a great general. Like his strength is not that he can come somewhere and swing his sword and save the day like he's a thinker like he wins his battles through his intellect and i like that that's that's like that's what makes him interesting that's what makes it's one of the reasons why i think he's he's a great character but he wins battles with checkers intellect and kellis is playing chess intellect could never win a battle of intellect against Pellis. So he just ran away screaming and claimed he was the winner. Like a good delusional leader. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think... And you're referring to him in the present tense. Was He was a thinker. was a leader. He did win battles. It's true. Well, thank you for, for driving that deeper <laughs> um no but i think the like i, I guess i kind of agree with what he said the way i read it is where i thought that the way i think about confidence losing in the end is that well the, i mean i think we mentioned it's it's, it's a different points that like kellis like not not kellis confidence is this mantra that wards intellect and Kellis, at one point, I think in the Warrior Prophet, says that war is conviction. And I think what Confus shows is that, like, you can be a smart guy, you can devise the best strategy, but if you, like, if you don't have people who believe in you, like, people who will obey or like who will believe in you enough to listen to your orders and do what you need them to do that it doesn't matter how great your strategy is like you're still going to lose um and i think by the end of of this book confess forgot that he like it, it, he he spent so much time try, trying to convince himself that or trying to believe in himself that he forgot to um, make sure that other people, the people around him, still believe in him as well. And um, that's why he lost, in my opinion. Hmm. Whereas Kellis, the, the whole thing, everything he's been working towards since the very beginning is to have people believe in so much that he, they would be able to, that he, they, they would be willing to sacrifice anything that and that's is, how he was able to prevail. 
that makes Pontus's last scene make a lot of sense, right? Because he gets up off the ground and he's like, why aren't they listening to me? Your God's still alive. <laughs> and then they finally start listening. Yeah. And Akanian gets taken away by Zeos, the Sifrank. That yeah, those, those were some weird POVs. Like, I, I don't, I don't understand really what the Sifrang. I mean, I guess they're kind of demons from the from the hell. But the the, 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 the sections, the passages with with their when when he's flying around and, I've, I, I, it was really hard to imagine. Well, maybe that's the point. Like, you're not supposed to be able to grasp what it is to be a demon that's been pulled to the earth from the outside. Yeah, it describes it as like flat at times, but ever stretching outward. Like, Meaning mm. it's coming from the outside. I think one time they call them godlings too. And two of them died inside of uh, Shime, and Zeos escaped, and Yokus wanted him to go kill Akamian, so he finally gave his revenge, more important than winning the battle. Yep. And then I, I kind of think that he was taking Akamian to Eokus, but he had already just been injured too much and the loss of blood just caused him to crash dead with the Akamian in his claws or hands, whatever this crazy demon thing has. Yeah, I was confused as, as to why he didn't kill Akamian immediately, but I guess it makes sense that Ayokos would want to exact his revenge on Akamian eyeballs. in person. He wants eyeballs. He wants to shove his eyeballs in his eyeballs, just like Zoom. <laughs> oh, wait, they don't work. <laughs> but, I mean, that's just a vicious circle. Like, someone, you, like, it, Ayoko's takes out like Zynemus's eyeballs, then Kamian avenges Zynemus by plucking out Ayoko's eyeballs, and Ayoko's takes his revenge on Kamian. Like who? Like it, that's just a vicious circle. <laughs> like who's like they're, you know like whose eyeballs are gonna be next? <laughs> an eye for an eye, so there are no eyes. Yeah. there's a just going going very quickly back to back to confess and and belief there is like a nice quote from moangus about uh, about that z says page 331 um he's explaining to Kellis that uh, when men stop bowing the emperor ceases to rule when the whips are thrown into the river, the slaves cease to serve. 
For an infant to be an emperor or a slave or a merchant or a whore or a general or whatever, those about him must act accordingly and men act as they believe. The identity of men is determined by beliefs, the assumptions of others. This is what makes them emperors or slaves, not their gods, not their blood. So I guess the people just stopped believing in Confess and stopped believing that he was there. He said, stop believing in him as their emperor. Uh, beliefs beget action. Another quote I'd written down too. So. Yeah. Yeah, those sections would tell us in Moingus. I think everyone wishes they would have been longer, but as the writer, it would it's like writing to people smarter than you at the same time, like a, nearly impossible. I feel like he said he would write like 50 pages and keep like three of Telus's dialogue. Really? So it took a lot of attempts to get the wording of someone smarter than him, correct? Yeah. Um, I like a part of me would like to have more of them. But another part of me is like, it's, it's not necessarily that we've heard everything before. But it, it does read as sort of like a summary of the thesis of the whole trilogy. It, it's kind of like, if you still haven't understood what I'm doing here, like here you have it like on the page, like this is what we've been doing the whole time. Um, so there were like, there were some parts of that I thought were maybe a bit repetitive or like just things that we've like, if you've been paying attention, you've been able to pick up or a piece together yourself. Um, but it, I mean, it does make things clear, clear, or it, it, it does make you, it does help you make like a more, um, whole picture of what's been happening and what Kalas and Moangas, uh, have been up to behind the scenes the whole time. What did you think about Moangas' dead end, Steve? One of the things I enjoyed most about that whole exchange is that Kellis was finally talking with someone who he couldn't, I guess he could he could manipulate him, if, but someone on, a, on his level. I think that was the most exciting part of that. So the the way that I understood it was he he was holding the Skin Spice captive, but he was also holding someone else or another group captive too, right? Or did I misunderstand that? No, he was only holding the skin spice captive down there. Okay. The ones that were chained up and the corpses that were there with them? Yeah. I did like, so the tree, um, is that like the tree of life is the way I took it? Because um, he goes under the, under the roots of the tree and travels down um, with his lantern and finally his lantern goes, but he, and Moingus doesn't have eyes. He just knows it by heart. He knows where he's going without having to see. Um, 
So yeah, that whole exchange was really just, I think we were complaining there wasn't enough of it in a way, and we wish that there was a little bit more, but at the same time, what's there is a lot. So. Yeah. I just thought it was a tree, like a random tree. I didn't think there was anything else to it, but now that you mention it, I don't know. Maybe there is something special about it, and I just missed it. And there was the branch, there was the twig that has the brown leaf and the green leaf on it. Yeah, that was very reminiscent of the prologue. Mm -hmm. But in the prologue, he's like he gets completely uh, enthralled with the twig, and he spends well like weeks just staring at the twig. And here, like here, he picks it up. Who looks at it and throws it away like it's almost like a i don't know if it's supposed to like symbolize how he's mastered the world outside of fish wall um he runs so fast that rabbits have a heart attacks trying to get away from him <laughs> he's mastered the wild maybe yeah. or something is he mad you think has gone mad like his suggests or what i think he's um he's the next step but i did going back to kind of what kind of what he mentioned about belief when Kellis came back he called himself a prince and that automatically gave him credibility because everyone thought he was a prince i thought that with that whole section when they discuss um Nations tolerate only those beliefs that can serve the great system of interlocking actions that make them possible. Um, that was uh, really interesting, but uh, it made sense. Kind of his strategy for the way that he would um, you know, set his plan into action. And then we learned, like, a couple chapters ago, how the Sushwaram magic was kind of different, and it required, like, passion and heart. Not something the Dunyane are known for. Yeah. So it turns out Malin just doesn't have very much water, even though he's super smart. Cut out his eyeballs, which allow him to, like, completely read people's faces but but we were right when we when when we said that um he was the kisharam that met with uh Zerius, the emperor in the darkness that comes before it does Malahat. get confirmed here Malhat, yeah hmm. that moingus was the one who met with him yeah. Uh, yeah, they, they his name was also Malahat and that's that's Moengis's name among the Kisharm. Mm. And uh, I think they mention in the darkness that um he's very pale and has uh swazans on his arms. So it's that kind of that kinds of kind of gives it away if if you know things about Moengus. Hmm. I miss that. 
I'm really bad with all these names. <laughs> there was something else that I wanted to ask uh, both of you about. Um, on page 312, my copy, um, they're trying to figure out where Kellis, Kellis went, uh, Noir, and I think uh, Espinette. Um, so, uh, so they're trying to figure out where he went. He says, no one knows. Most think he, went, most think he goes to speak with God. Why do you think that? Because he said he goes to his father's house. So do they consider Moengus a god? Is that it's Kellis using truths to just manipulate people. Yeah, he's gotta go see his father, but he tells everyone that and they win the war, he just consulted with the actual god, the tusk god. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, he's the prophet, so it makes sense that at least in a symbolic way, the god would be considered as his his father. Um, so I think when he tells them that he's going to his father's house, they don't, like, they just assume he, he's referring to the god and not to his actual father. Like, why would his real father would be in Shaima when Kellis has come from the north? Of, of the continent. Did Kellis seem startled that Nairn and the student spies were there? His dad he heard him first, but... Yeah, the, well, the skin spies could smell him. Sorry, we could smell him the whole time. Or maybe that little seed of going to talk to his father was meant to get to mayor. I don't know. Kellis did seem like he had to be quick with this chat. It's like, I don't have time to play these dunning word games. Yeah, I guess he, he did kind of uh, noirs. Uh, he, yeah, he could have led him there to kind of Close or stop that arc, <laughs> Nora's arc. He, you know, finish that circle for him. Otherwise, he'd always be an issue for him. I'm, I'm guessing he's still alive. He's gonna make it out of the mines or the caves or whatever it is. But um, who, Nayor or? I'm assuming he will. From the sounds of it, Sarah can smell Kellis from like 100, like 50 miles away. So. I think yeah. she'll smell her way out of that cave or that mine. Well, he was going to slit his own throat. So there's that. A nice final spasm. Yeah. Well, he already had one on his throat for Sirway, I think. Like a small one. Not, not too deep. But still. So the, the whole idea behind... Kellis's motivation is to wipe the slate clean, right? To get to kind of start over from scratch. Is that because he he had the holy war, and his whole goal was to bring these two forces together to have them both kill each other, and then have a clean slate where he can 
re um, reestablish or bring about a new age of thinking and a new age of um, new way, I guess, new ways of thinking. I guess, but is that kind of the gist of it? I don't know that I know <laughs> what Kellis is thinking at all. Um, there is this whole thing about him hearing the voice, well, hearing some voices. It's, see, he seems to suggest that the, the voice he hears is the god, but then we also know that he's heard the no god's voice before and he seems to not agree with the consult's plan to er eradicate most of the population of the planet they're on but what is his end goal and who's actually talking to him or is he just insane i'm not sure i really know it's once he finally mentions it's like have you heard the voices too he's like, what, are you crazy <laughs> so his father grasped parts of the thousandfold thought whatever that is which what you're thinking, Steve, might be along the lines of what it is. Just breaking down the Phantom and the Enrique into one something that is easily shapeable. Because mm. he's. So what, who knows? Whatever the thousandfold pot ends with. Mm. It appears as though Kellis thinks he definitely seen a lot further into the thousandfold pot than his dad did in the end. Or is he just crazy? Or is he just crazy? But then he mentions that his dad, knowing the monstrosities of the dunian needs to do what the consult needs to do and shut the world from the outside otherwise his soul is as damned as like the inkerai as damned as the non-man <laughs> it's bad whatever his soul is is in a bad spot and then i thought that was really interesting with the talk of the ciphering and all of this talk of the outside, does God exist? Well, even Moenga seems to acknowledge that the outside is real. But he, I guess he, he kind of disagrees with the, the way it's generally described by the Enrithi or by the Phantom. Yeah, he calls it fractured or shattered. Yeah, he, he says... Shattered mirror. He says, the world is open and our souls stand astride its bounds. But what lies outside, Callus, is no more than a fractured and distorted reflection of what lies within. I have searched for nearly the length of your entire life, and I have found nothing that contradicts the principle. I have watched... For years, I have counted, and the world shows no favor. It is perfectly indifferent to the tantrums of men. 
The god sleeps. It has ever been thus. Only by striving for the absolute may we awaken him. Meaning, purpose, these words name not something given. They name our task. That's very loaded. Yeah, I was about to say it's very, very loaded. But Kellis disagrees, right? Yeah, I, I, I think Kellis seems to disagree that the world isn't different. It's or definitely that, true that, that there is no the, judgment. But Moingus tries to use the point that their ability to like move nations just with their words is proof otherwise. That they the darkness does what determine what comes before so they can manipulate it. There's no outside strings pulling anything. That's what he's saying. Like I've searched for years for outside strings pulling this world in a direction and it just doesn't exist. Hmm. But someone's talking to Kellis, so that seems like a stream. Someone or something. Things. I don't know, is God, would you call God someone or something? Well, I guess it depends on if he likes me too much or not, I guess. <laughs> and, and he seems to be callous. I, I mean, he seems to be suspiciously certain that he is not insane. That the, the voices that he's hearing are real. And that he has somehow been chosen to save the world, I guess. At least that's what he says. Like, it, it wasn't clear to me if, if he actually means it, but that is what he says to, um, to Moengus. There's also a part that I thought was weird that we haven't connected yet anywhere, but Kellis is walking down towards his bed and he, like, sees some kind of mural on the floor. And some other voice tells him to walk around it and he like skirts around some mural on the floor. So the okay, so the mural was figures with with lances and a lion. There was a character, I forget I forget I'm bad with names. There's a character that was referred to as the lion during the Battle of Shimming. Oh Shimei. that's that's dead compass, the lion of teeth. Okay, I yeah, think sorry. aren't there two lions? There might be three lions. No, wait. The I think the Padiraja is a tiger. Uh, well, Confus is was <laughs> referred to as as the lion of Cayuth. But I think isn't I might, I might be wrong. But isn't Saban <laughs> standard? Isn't there also a lion on, on Saban standard? Maybe or did I get it wrong? I'll have to go back and read exactly what that mural was. It talked about a lot of engravings, engravings on top of engravings. But I, I would say it's, I think it's fair to say that the, those murals predate the Holy War by a lot. Yes. Mm. I thought it could be like a, um, 
some kind of time travel. I mean, this kind of story, I'd, my mind goes a little off the rails with what things could mean. But the fact, like you mentioned, Daniel, the fact that he, whatever he writes, there's a purpose to everything. Uh, that, that has to, for him to take time to describe a mural has to mean something, right? Oh, I, I did. Yeah, I, I was right. Um, the Sabon standard is the red lion. So it's, it's a clash of lions. They're different than the Lannisters. But. Yeah. There is a, speaking of Kellas doing weird things, there is another, <laughs> there is another passage when he's traveling to, um, to, to the, to, to the city, to the ruined city. He's just walking through the, on the plains and he's shouting like around as if he's talking to someone, the world, like the God, I don't know. Um, and he's saying something about something about like what what was he supposed to do or did did I do the right thing? Um, let me see if I can find it. Yeah, I think he says something like, "I know you can hear me. I know you listen." It's it's somewhere like right before he's chasing the the rabbits and the the jackals. Yeah, in chapter kills, fourteen. When he kills Confess's Kidrahil. No, no, no! It's Kellis. Yeah. Oh yeah, that yes, he yeah. I think somewhere right, right, right. Sorry, you're right. Yeah, he appears to be talking to someone. Kind of yeah, it's on, it's on page 289. Oh, yeah. He, he says, I know you can hear me, he said to the world, dark and sacred. I know that you listen. What was I to do? They attend only to what lies before their eyes. They listen only to what pleases their ears. Things unseen, things unheard. They trust to you. So it seems like he's talking to God. Maybe he believes in this outside and the damnation of the soul and he's looking for ways to repent. Saria used entire nations as a tool and I pretended to be a false prophet. What, what else was I supposed to do? I mean, I interesting or maybe he's talking to the no god maybe he's saying that to the no god not the god yeah i wonder like if the dunyan are damned like i i have to wonder what what kind of horrible things have they done that are even worse that than what we already seen happen during the, the holy wars march it gets worse <laughs> I think they kind of like kill, 
killed all of the kind kind kindness and I don't know like the way God wants you to be like a loving person hmm. they have, there's no love in them I, I again maybe the, the the bottom line of my question is like who decides what is good and what's what's bad like how 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 does one get how, who decides or what are the you know what are the rules like what how you, what do you have to do to uh become damned apart from becoming a sorcerer obviously <laughs> but Corey it worked for everyone right no matter what god you worship the tears of god still work that's uh i think that same voice is on 322 um this is um, when he's in the cavern. It says, they gathered here in the hundreds. A voice called across the gloom, clear despite the ambient rumble. Even thousands in the days before the womb plague. I think I just assumed that that was Mwangus speaking mm. to Kellis. Yeah, he says that last. And it's a Kinuric voice, which is like his own dialect. Oh, okay. So he finally decides to talk to Kellis and he's telling him what he's looking at. The womb plague. He refers to the, what is it, the something for I wars? Almost as if it was a, like another apocalypse. He says that, then the first apocalypse, and now the second apocalypse. <laughs> Are all the times that the non-men fought the Inkarai. Yeah, I, I wouldn't worry too much, Steve. Like, the first time I read this book, all of this went straight over my head. <laughs> you just need to think in the context of the first book. Who is the enemy in the first book? The Padre Jah. <laughs> or or Kellis, one of them. Yes, a lot, <laughs> a lot of this book is about like, I think even Melingus is talking to Kellis, and he says like, is he born in Rithi or is he born Sylvendi? That that's going to determine who he kills, like nothing else. On um on three seventy five he talks about um they discuss uh to shut the world against the outside to seal it through the examination of mankind. Who talks about that? Oh, uh, that is uh, Kellis and Moingos, I believe. Yeah. That's what Kellis predicts that the Dunyain would eventually do mm -hmm. once they found out about uh, about the outside and, and the possibility of damnation, right? Yeah, I think so. 
But Kellis also tells him, after he stabs him in the chest, um, I am more, the warrior prophet said. So yeah, you do wonder if he's losing his mind or if he's more. Yeah. I, I guess that's the question that makes us want to read this next series. <laughs> There's no kind empire to worry about. They did reach Shimei. Not much will be left of Shimei. Doesn't, doesn't appear like by the end of this battle. No, there isn't much left of it, I don't think. Um, I have to say the, the scenes with Proyas hit me quite hard this time. I wasn't, I'm not known as the biggest fan of Proyas, uh, so I didn't quite expect that. But there was something very tragic, like reading about him coming to Shaima, like finally laying his eyes on, on the city he's been dreaming about these years previous. And it's just like it's, it's all a ruin and there's people looting and raping and and, he, and I don't know, when he says, like, this is Shaima, it, 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 I felt for him in that moment. And also for the fact that, you know, reg regardless of how pious he is and how much he has tried to do the right thing, at least according to his, his morals, like he still, when, when, he's, when he enters the house with the, where the two women are hiding and he's like they're so scared of him and he looks at him like he looks at his hands and they're covered in blood and he realizes that like he's been going through the city and ma massacring people and that like that's how like that's the way he's entering the holy city um the sacred city it's i i felt very sad for him and well, for for the people in the city as well, um, <laughs> but it was quite disheartening watching him in, in in that moment, sort of coming to terms with the fact that um, it's just it doesn't matter if it's Shaima or another city. Like there was always going, to, they were always going to take it by force, and there was always going to be a massacre, and there is not much holy or sacred about them re recovering the city from the from the phantom and throughout this whole this whole read of this, the trilogy you both have asked me about the phantom and we still don't really have a, their perspective that i can recall which is very interesting about you don't have a whole lot from from the it's very one side of this whole conflict the same way we learn about the First Crusades through the Christian perspective, where we were the saviors, even though we were doing real bad things to people. I always think, like when I, whenever there's like a war or something going on, I think a lot about unintended consequences in this book 
I think if you think about that, like they're going to save a city, they become the monsters and just completely destroy the city and, and call it saving it. If you look back in history, there's a lot of that. And in current history, there's a lot of times where we'll try to do something and not fully think it through and then we'll end up like immediately evacuating Iraq and leaving all our weapons there. Just things like that. There's a lot of themes in this book. I think every every character kind of goes through their own theme in a way. And sometimes they intersect. Was this always meant to be more than once? It wasn't it was it was never meant to be just a trilogy, right? It couldn't have. It was always meant to be two different series. Yeah, there was always more. I think, if I understand it correctly, it was supposed to be three books. The first one being the, the Prince of Nothing, the the second one, the Aspect Emperor, and then a third one um, without a title. Wow. Oh, you mean as far as series goes? The Prince of Nothing second apocalypse or no well if if i remember correctly prince of nothing was originally supposed to be just one book but had to be made into a trilogy so it's kind of like each of the sub series was supposed to be like a single book and then got expanded into like a sub series But I don't, I don't. I don't think that the first trilogy was ever supposed to be the whole thing. Like there was always more. When I remember, I thought it was supposed to be two trilogies and a duology. Possibly, wow. the, yeah. the duology is the thing that's never came yet. The darkness that comes after. <laughs> Yeah, lots of stuff. Yeah, we didn't talk much about the battle. The Scarlet Spires making their way into the city behind their Jaro shield walls and just blowing every foundation to the ground to see who was inside. Trapping themselves. Pretty much all dying. Yeah, I think they're gone, right? I think they... Um, Rip the uh, Lazarus. Rest in peace. I mean, everyone, everyone I like in these books is gone. Nora's still around. He's just in the dark. Yeah. He seems to be, he seems to be out of the picture, at least for the moment. Um, But yeah, Conf is gone. Sirius is gone. Elizarius is gone. I mean, Iokas is still around, so there's there's at least some Scarlet Spires are still alive. I'm not sure how many survived. Um, there should be at least a couple. Well, and then we got Kellis using the third inaudible 
and using like what normally would just transport your voice and just transporting his whole body places yeah. snapping yeah. behind people cutting faces i completely missed the first time i read the book i completely missed on the fact that he teleported himself from the labyrinth to shima I, I i don't know what i thought i guess i just thought he he ran really quickly or there was like a shortcut tunnel um here both places that's that's why time travel steve brought up time travel <laughs> maybe it'd be just time travel there he talked about like a white or a black gate that he stepped into before i feel like it was saraway was like coming at him or something right then who knows how it works i don't think the mandate can do it they're I mean, smart enough for the third and other roles yet, whatever they are. As far as we know, no one can do it. I think Akamian mentioned that allegedly there was some ancient non-man king who was able to do it. Maybe you have to go to the, the Inkarai non-man war read about it that seemed like it was a four page section in the glossary that glossary is massive <laughs> it's yeah it's full of good little chunks of maybe useless information maybe good things to know i couldn't think of any good way of talking about it because there's just too much going on it's a ton. It's a hundred pages long. Yeah, and I think a lot of it is just names of some obscure Kanrian or Sidoni lords um, that appear like on one page in the entire trilogy. Um, <laughs> but there's a couple. There's a couple of uh, a couple of things like the uh, the non-man in Cry Wars. Um, there's a, there's a small section about the fan like the the, the fanonry was was the, the fanon faith the fanon religion as well. I don't know if this one has the dialects in it, but there's like a breakdown of the dialects and like root words. <laughs> like it gets deep. There's fifty eighty languages or something. I don't know. Jeez. Maybe hundreds. I think the language tree is in the first book, at least in my editions anyway. It'll show up again, I think, too. Yeah. It, it took me it took me until like the last 50 pages to realize there was a map of Shima at the back. I was getting confused all these gates and like positions of troops. And I was like, why is he making it so complicated? And then like, if only I had a map. And I was like, wait, is there a map? There was a map. So my bad. Um, that would have made things a lot, lot clearer from the beginning. Uh, you did better than I did. I, I didn't realize until I was done. I was flipping through the, <laughs> the, the, uh, the appendix, and I was like, oh, there's a map here. It was a very broad scoping battle. I think the big part of the battle took place, like, outside, and it was really only Acadian that saved the... Holy War, maybe? And mm -hmm. Kellis in the end. 
but Sawbone as well. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe it would have probably been a better fight between Compass and Sawbone had Kellis or had Akami not just murdered a bunch of people and threw them all into disarray. Half of them were running away. He had no control over his army, and right when he regained it, he realized that Sawbon was about to cut his head off. Yeah, it's. Uh, I mean, it's that's an interesting question. I I, I wonder if I wonder if uh, uh, Confess's men would ha- would have defected if Akamian hadn't attacked them first. But it's it's it. I did get the impression that they were already unsure or questioning his command and quite reluctant to fight with the Phantom against other Inrithi. Yeah, it's a hard question to put your faith-killing face for the heathen. But then when they came down the hills, the Phantom all kind of thought that it was going to be Compass, and then they realized that they were all dead. Oh, I mean, I, I would have preferred a different ending. And I think if Kellis wouldn't have showed up, that most of the Scarlet Spires were either dead or fleeing, and pretty much the Sichuan was in control. There was only a couple of them left, but they were the most powerful ones, and they could just killed everyone in the city, probably. Hmm. They had removed all their obstacles. All the mages were dead. Except the Yogis, wherever he was. Hiding somewhere. (laughs) Waiting for... Trying to control his Sith rank. I I mean, I bet that takes a lot of concentration. So do you think that Kellis summoned Sabon or somehow Mm. manipulated Sabon into arriving, like coming to Shaima, but later so that he could ambush the the Nance War? Hmm. Because he wasn't supposed to be there. He he was supposed to be in Karis camp. (laughs) Where he belongs. Yeah, he can stay in Karaskan only once. He wanted to be a king, so he should be a king. He should not be going around decapitating emperors. <laughs> the rightful emperors. We definitely didn't get that answer, I guess. What made Salbaton decide to come? He's still alive, so maybe we'll hear more about Salbaton in the future. Oh god, no. <laughs> Poor Sabon. Maybe you'll find some new characters to love, Katarina. Or maybe you did. Maybe Steve will. Maybe Sarsalus will show back up. No. Uh, <laughs> hope not. hope <laughs> <laughs> he's gone. Hope he's gone for good. Sarway just needs to throw her face back together all the time. Yeah, she'll make a comeback. There are some good characters in the in the, the Aspect Emperor, for sure. But I have to I have to admit that 
I mean, there's just something about this trilogy that makes it so dear to me. There's and specifically about the characters. Like I don't I don't feel like I could really relate to the characters in the second series as much as I do relate to Akamian or Asmanet or even Proyas. <laughs> they were um but maybe that's also just nostalgia. I don't know. Um, maybe there's time. We'll see. Yeah, we'll find out. So you are halfway through book three in that series, Katarina? Or two? I finished book two. I have not started book three, and I don't think I'm going to before we catch up together to where I finished, to, to where I stopped. Nice. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, I tried, I, I did try to finish it, but it's just, it's a lot. It's, it's, it's a lot. It's, I mean, I, it's just reading two books from the same series at the same time. It feels weird already. And, with this series specifically, there's just too much to uh, too much to keep track of, and it's also like a lot of like emotional things you have to process. It's like there's they're not easy reads. Like you need to t you need to you need some time to recuperate. I think. <laughs> well, that reminds me. What about the the grim darkness of the book, Steve? Has it reached the most grimdark book you've ever read yet? No, no. There's still a, like a hundred thousand people alive, probably at least. There's probably more, but a lot of people died, just not. If we're comparing just even trilogy to trilogy, I think as far as disturbing or dark, I think Empires of Dust might even be bleaker than this. What do you think, Katarina? I would probably... I, I don't know... In terms of bleakness, probably I agree. I think there is still some hope at the end of the Thousandfold Thought. Yeah. Like, you don't know what exactly Kellis is going to do next, but at least the sense I got is that he will somehow try to save the world from the consult and prevent them from closing the the world to the outside and um, i mean he's already and he's also already made some changes in the three c's like in the societies uh like he put Esmenet in charge of like of his government essentially um, which is not something that would have been possible, like that something that wouldn't be possible for a woman, not to say a woman of like her background to become. Um, so I think there's still like there is some potential for change, change towards the better. There is some hope that Kellis means well, that he wants to do the good thing. It, does he actually 
is he going to do it? I don't know. Um, but there's still some, and 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 you have a common, I think, which, I mean, this despite, I mean, where he ends up, there's I I do find some hope in that. At last, he sees through, Kellis's BS. That he that he 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 discovers the truth um and even if that leaves him completely alone and depressed and without his without the love of his life um there is still something positive in him making that revelation so i wouldn't say it's completely bleak that was a cool moment was talking about how with him the scriptures can be rewritten mm. he is the truth and then again being like oh yeah whatever <laughs> i hate you now i'm leaving and yeah. just him out on the cane and they just let him go i'm renouncing but, you wait tell us says what next time you come before me you will bow i was very ominous mm. I thought I thought he was going to tell him next time you are before me, you will die. Is what I expected him to say. But. I mean, it's also it's also interesting in that. Well, clearly, Kellis does not want to come in dead. Because if he wanted him dead, he could have killed him on the spot. Yeah. So mayor. Same with what seem to be loose dreams that Kellis leaves around. How loose are they? Or are they really not holding other stuff together? Who knows? He talks about walking the probability trance, and even though he's grasped a thousandfold thought, some of the paths like lead directly to catastrophic results and some of them just go into shadow but he like knows they're not good paths somehow so even the, his probability trance has its limits whatever they are whatever the probability trance is <laughs> he's talking about when he's talking to Melindis he's like he was certain if he had eyes that they would dilute in and out as he skimmed his consciousness i think it said or something like that basically as he like went out of focus to walk the probability trance but he didn't have eyes so Kels couldn't see it hmm. he's the waterless sishwaran i guess the low water sishwaran that was one of the craziest parts to me, how knowing this, I thought he was going to be the all-powerful, like, having been in the world for so long, there's no way he wasn't going to be so fragile in front of his son. But how was he to know that his heartlessness would make his magical powers worthless in the end? That was a major miscalculation, but we were we were kind of led led to believe that he was this all powerful, all knowing uh, person 
like that's what we that's what we learned from Kellis. That's what Nior was thinking. Um, so we were we were misled. We we learned that it was he was able to pass his dreams to the people he knew from Ishwal. Just not everybody there, all the people that he remembered before he got kicked out. And even that almost broken, he said. What else did you have in your notes? Got to read anything else you uh, had written down for us? Um, I'm looking through my notes. Um, there's one quote for Confus, from Confus, which I, which was my favorite. All right, it's Confus. another, it's another iteration on the war's intellect. When it's it's when he's standing, I think he's like standing on a hill, looking over the the battlefield. It's like, how could I ever have thought that you know there was something wrong with me? Like, obviously I'm the god. Like, I'm winning this. What, what was I thinking? And and they're talking about war, and he's like, well, war is intellect, but men are stupid. <laughs> yeah. So I really like that. It made me laugh. Right before I cried. Confidence uh, will be missed. Yes, dearly. By me, I, at least. I left the, at the part that I forgot when, but the men of the tusks like knocked back the the phantom and they're like, "Take your blood with you." That's, <laughs> oh yeah, that's a good line. Yeah. Everybody laughed. I like the quote: "If war does not kill the woman in us, it kills the man." That was pretty hardcore. Reminded me a lot of the old war movies I watched. What happens if you're a woman? Oh. Yeah, maybe the man and woman's the wrong word. Maybe it's the uh, fight. I mean, I know what they mean, but, you know. It's true. <laughs> this world doesn't care about that. Women are barely allowed to wear boots. Yeah. We'll see if they get more power. That's medical. Yeah. Do we have any predictions for the future? I honestly have no idea what's going to happen. I have no clue. Zero. Anything you want other than next series? I want I want to know more about the um, the arc. <laughs> so we'll see. Well, cool. This book had one of the craziest scenes ever in the book. It had two Dunyan in a room together yeah. with conflicting opinions. Yeah. That was really great. So how would you, how would you, maybe not, not right, but how would you compare the three books we read so far? Like, do you, do you have a favorite? Has your ranking changed over time? I think it's still Darkness. And this book would probably be, I don't know, that's tough. It'd probably go one, three, two in, in my list. Yeah. What about you guys? Did your opinions change? No, I really like the last 100 pages of this book, though. So. I think. I do. I did enjoy it 
better this time around. Um, it was the only one out of the three that I didn't rate five stars on my first read. Um, but this time I actually enjoyed it more than the, the Warrior Prophet. There were parts of the Warrior Prophet that I found dragged a little bit, especially the, the first half. This one has slower parts as well, but it also has some of my like, favorite scenes of being, I mean, a darkness is still like S tier. Like it's one of my favorite, favorite, if not the favorite book of all time. Uh, nothing beats that. But uh, Thousandfold Thought has some of my favorite scenes in it as well. Um, especially the, the scenes between Nayor and Confis and then Kellis and Moengas. Um, those, I think, are really well written. And I look forward to them every time I read this book. Um, I, I looked forward to reading them this time. And they were, again, like this, the parts of it that I enjoyed the most. Um, so I think, yeah, like my, my, I think my ranking, ranking did change. Um, I, and I also think reading it slowly helped because especially the last, the latter half, there's a lot to unpack and I did go through it pretty quickly the first time I read it. So I, I did enjoy I think having more time to process everything helped with my enjoyment as well. And the fact you, that you, you also have a lot of questions you said at the beginning. See, Steve doesn't even know the questions you could possibly have. So that would add some enjoyment for the read, if that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, I, yeah, but I, I have the impression that I won't be able like I I, sh I should most certainly finish the Aspect Emperor before I go back and reread the Thousandfold Thought. Like that seems the only way how I can get some understanding. This is true. There's the <laughs> companion book. Uh, I think I mentioned it before. It's written by like a fan, hmm. but it's 150 pages of just afterthoughts, kind of like the appendix, but different. Hmm. More like a history text, kind of. Well, we'll find out more next week. <laughs> in two well, weeks. In two weeks, sorry. Two weeks. Yeah, two weeks. We should definitely find the time to read the atrocity tales. We'll know if it's after this first book of the second series or after the second book. I'll try to remember exactly when he said when was the best time to read it or when you wouldn't not. There's a time where there's some spoilers in there, but then some of the spoilers get revealed. Hmm. They're okay. fun. They're fun little stories. I feel like they're only like 20 pages, some of them. <laughs> Define pages. fun in Baker's <laughs> world. Yeah. I think one of the atrocity tales has one of the coolest revelations of the whole series, hmm. of the whole second apocalypse world that I don't think ever even comes up in books. Right. That got um, me intrigued. Which means you, you've never even know this revelation. Oh, well, actually, maybe at the 
Maybe it does get mentioned very vaguely once at some point later. But it it's crazy. It's a crazy thing. Let me see what you guys think about it. Yeah, we'll find out when the best plate the best time to read it would be would be good. I'm down. Yeah. Yeah. I watched the interview with Baker a couple of days ago where he was just talking about his books. I think it was like the SFW convention one. Hmm. And he was saying the only thing to be certain of is that we don't know shit. <laughs> Certainty is a complete lie. Whoever says it is the, the first one you can call bullshit on. There, there was a very nice quote about certainty somewhere in this book. Yeah, that interview with Baker was real good. He's, he's talking about, like, the guy asks him how he, like, came up with the world, and he's like, what did he say? A couple good bags of weed and a lot of free time. <laughs> talking, yeah, talking about being in high school, just smoking and trying to come up with Dungeons and Dragons stuff for mm. his like brothers. Wow, makes mm -hmm. me think I I tried too hard in high school. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he goes on to say that he never thought that something he thought of as a dope smoking adolescent would ever like come to mean anything to him. He always knew he would probably be, like, I even think he said being an author wasn't something he thought he would do. I think he just thought he would be a philosophy professor somewhere. Maybe he's both? Uh, he definitely has taught some philosophy up at some college in Canada. I don't remember where. There's actually... Hmm a couple long videos of him giving lectures at colleges too. Do you want me to read the quote about certainty? Yeah. Set aside your conviction, for the feeling of certainty is no more a marker of truth than the feeling of will is a marker of freedom. Deceived men always think themselves certain, just as they always think themselves free. This is simply what it means to be deceived. <laughs> so many great quotes. On the very last chapter, the line is something about conviction. Barely it is conviction that this is how it ended. I don't remember, but it's kind of about the same thing. He just reiterates the same thing in different Different, different ways. High level quotable ways. It is very quotable. He is very right. quotable if he wants to be. He had a Twitter account. It was called the Devil's Chirp. And he would do like current politics, but he would like use the Baker spin and put it into like a quotable thing. <laughs> and it was, they were epic. He got, oh. it's taken off Twitter now, so I could never find him. I feel like he might have posted them on his blog so long time ago sometimes. But it was fun listening to him contemplate the current world through uh, Irwa 
Kellis Langs. Yeah. <laughs> cool, yeah. It's, uh, in two weeks, we'll start uh, the judging eye. Excited for it. So, Daniel, if so you want... If you, so, where can people not get in touch with you? In the comment section here. Okay. Definitely and, uh, not. It's just now I'll probably respond. Or on page two. And Katerina, where can people get in touch with you? You'll also find me on the page doing forum. And I'm also on Instagram at the errand. Awesome. Has anybody uh, contacted you there? By, any, by just out of curiosity. Like, hey, I heard you on the talk. Not that I'm aware. Oh, okay. But I'm more than happy to get in touch with you if you want to chat about the second apocalypse or any other book series or whatever. Awesome. Cool. Thanks everybody for listening and for hanging out with us through the first trilogy. It's been hell of a ride. So looking forward to the next, uh, the next series. So we'll see everyone in two weeks. <laughs>